0: If COVID didn't happen, we would have continued to keep buying, right? And we would have obviously keep nurturing the property management company because that makes more logistical sense. But we probably wouldn't have gotten into the insurance business. We, wouldn't, we would, certainly would have gotten into the lending business.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Ben Suttles from Disrupt Equity. Today, we're talking about the say advantages of having a fully vertically integrated multifamily syndication team company slash enterprise because that's what ben and his partner ferris who's been on the show before have done with their company they've gone fully vertically integrated with a few services of you know we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about some of the upsides of that vertical integration, what that can mean for passive investors, and also some of the risks. You know, I've asked a a couple of tough questions of Ben here and he's got great answers, but um, every plan I think has potential upsides and potential downsides. And we need to be honest about some of those potential downsides, prepare for them, ask the right questions and make sure, you know, sponsors are prepared and adapting for some of those uh, potential downsides in their multifamily or other Type of syndication strategy. So that's what we're talking about today with Ben Suttles from Disrupt Equity. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Vogt. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I also passively invest in syndications and I love asking tough questions to other syndicators. And uh, that's what you're going to get to hear today from Ben Suttles from Disrupt Equity. Without any further ado, here we go with Ben. Ben, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Taylor, man. I appreciate it, buddy. It's great to
1: talk with you again. It's been a couple of years and uh, you've been doing some big things, done very well for yourself here. And uh, for those out there who don't know about you, don't know what you do, can you give us like a primer on uh, what you're up to?
0: I'll give you my 30 second pitch. So, Ben Suttles, co founder of Disrupt Equity Partners. We're here in Houston, Texas. We're a vertically integrated commercial real estate firm. We've got about 1,500 units, both in Texas and in Georgia. We have property management, lending, and insurance all in house. And, um, you know, we're looking for our next opportunity either in Texas, first and foremost, just because. That's where we're based out of, and that's where we focus a lot of our attention. Uh, we love Atlanta and Savannah, Georgia. Uh, and we also like Florida as well. So, uh, kind of gearing up, uh, you know, twenty twenty got got a, got away from us. You know, some of, so some of our twenty twenty goals are now our twenty twenty one goals, and we're pretty uh, which we're pretty ambitious. So we're hopefully we can uh, we can hit those in, in the new year. So yeah, man, yeah. Awesome. So
1: you know, you have a, a unique strategy in that vertical integration, Um, you know, not a lot of syndicators out there will get to, you know, 1500 doors and then, you know, start their own property management, insurance and lending and all those things that you said you're doing. So, you know, I'd like to learn more about that. And, you know, why you chose to pursue that strategy, say, rather than, I don't know, chasing more doors or something like what, what the reasons were for becoming vertically integrated in those ways.
0: Well, I'll start. I'll start with the, the the most obvious one, which was the property management one. We weren't going to originally do it as quickly as we did, but we kind of felt the need. You know, uh, property management's kind of a slimy business, man. You know, I think a lot of the third party companies you are just a number. And, you know, they're not really even asking you about your business plan or your exit strategy or what your preferred return might need to be to, so they can work that into the budget. I mean, it's all just we're going to run it how we run it. And if you make some money, you're lucky. Right. And so after firing five of those guys, me and my business partner, Ferris Musa, decided, hey, we got it. We got to do something different. So we created Disrupt Management, uh, which is our third party property management company. And it's a standalone business on its own. And, um, you know, we rolled that out in 2019 and, um, I'm glad that we did because once COVID hit, you know, I would have been just, I would have been very, very nervous. Let's just put it that way with the way that our properties were being operated by uh, some of the other companies. And it gave us the flexibility to kind of really, and the transparency, right? You know, I think a lot of people, they kind of know that they're getting shined on by the third party property management company, but. It's kind of hard to prove, man. They kind of talk in circles and some people are really polished and they always seem like they have the right answer. Maybe are they BSing me or not? And, uh, you know, we started poking holes and all that. And so what we're trying to do as a management company is be open, transparent, you know, we're not hiding fees and anything, what we charge, what is what you're going to get charged. Right. And, um, good, bad, or, or ugly. We're going to tell you about it, you know, and we're going to work hand in hand with the owners because we're owners ourselves to come up with a plan that's going to work, right? Because we ultimately want them to be successful. So, you know, we did that last year. So that was kind of pre-COVID, you know, and it was just a transition of, you know, um, you know, as we kind of grew in the business and we matured and we were adding on more and more deals, um, it just it felt like it made sense. And so that's kind of why we did it. And it's a completely different business than, than acquisitions. So I just want to tell your, your listeners that um, we're not the ones that just kind of oh let's do a property management company. We ultimately hired on a gal her name's Jackie Jackson and she does a great job being kind of the the CEO and president. We're there kind of board of directors and you know helping with sales, business development, technology because both me and Ferris come from a technology background. You know so that was pre COVID, right? So then COVID hits, right? Like I said, we had a lot of ambitious goals for 2020. And, you know, we were rocking and rolling Q1. And then in the March hits, what happens? Shutdowns and the world's falling apart. Markets are collapsing. Oil's collapsing. I mean, we're here in Texas. We just, that's, can we track that type of stuff? And we didn't know how long this was going to last. We didn't know when we were going to be able to find our next deal. You know, and ultimately we just kind of got, you know, um, a little bored, really, in a way. <laughs> and so we started, there, these were... These were businesses that we were interested in potentially buying into in the future but if it wasn't for COVID you know because if it was if COVID didn't happen we would have continued to keep buying right and we would have obviously keep nurturing the property management company because that makes more logistical sense but we probably wouldn't have gotten into the insurance business and we wouldn't uh, we would, certainly wouldn't have gotten into the lending business. But, you know, we have a couple of friends here in Texas that were just great, great specialists in what they did on the lending side and what they did on the insurance side. But we felt like we could kind of, you know, let them do what they do best and then almost like a franchise model, right? We, we, We surround them with our processes and the backbone of what our business is and then our team and then our marketing and IT prowess that we have and say, let's supercharge this thing. So we bought into these, these businesses. One's called Peak Financing. You know, obviously does our lending, you know, uh, check us out, peakfinancing.com. I got to plug that. And then on the commercial insurance side, there's a gentleman that had always taken care of us. Um, and, uh, you know, he was kind of trying to take it to the next level. And so we said, hey, let's let's start up a, a commercial insurance company. And, um, you know, and, and he runs it. You know, once again, we're adding IT you know, marketing, sales and business development to the equation. That's kind of how we add value to these guys. And then they go out and run it and that's called strategic insurance group. So those guys are doing great and, you know, we're just trying to add value to them, but it also kind of makes our deals more profitable, right? You know, we're going to get pole position, you know, on all the new acquisitions, on renewals, on refinances, you know, so it's not, it's not only a good standalone business to be in, it also helps our current deals and our future deals, you know? And so, you know, it was, it was kind of a win-win, you know, we've, we've talked about starting other, you know, you know, whether it be real estate brokerage or construction, but ultimately we didn't feel like those were a great fit, um, you know, at least currently. And so, you know, I think we're going to kind of stick with those businesses and you know, uh, go out and buy another 5,000 units, man. I mean, I think that that's ultimately what me and Ferris really like to do. We like to put deals together. But like I said, we were bored and it was COVID and what else are you going to do? Right. You know, so, but we're all, we also have a big motto too, right. That we, that we kind of tell everybody around here, right. You know, who are the guys that made the money during the gold rush? And what, what was the guys looking for gold? It was the guys selling the shovels. So, you know, you have to, you have to look at everything like, you know, if you can find deals along the way, that's great. Right. And we're going to continue to look for deals. Right. We're going to buy 2000 units in 2021. That's our goal. Right. But if I can provide a good service to some of our friends and colleagues in a business too, and make a little money around along the way, then I say that's a good business model too. Right. Cause we understand that business from an owner's perspective too. So we kind of look at it from through that lens. And, um, you know, it's been pretty successful and we're excited to kind of continue to grow those businesses. But yeah, no property management was almost kind of you know, it was a forced measure because we were just getting screwed by the, by these guys. And then the other two were just like, Hey, let's do something fun. Um, And so that's kind of how that all kind of came together. And it's, it's created a, it's created a nice kind of vertically integrated group of companies that we're proud to be a part of.
1: Nice. Now you mentioned kind of earlier about, you know, you're in a few markets that you like uh, Houston, uh, Atlanta area, and a few Mm -hmm. others. And, you know, from the property management perspective, if you're managing your own properties and say you're going into a new market, you know, probably making your first acquisition in uh, I don't know, just, a, you, just you wanted to buy a property in Charlotte. And you don't have any other properties in Charlotte, but you want to get started. How many units do you need to have there? Because that's too far to drive great from question. Atlanta. No,
0: ab- well, absolutely, right. Yeah. You know, and, and and somebody else was actually asking me that the other day, and that's a great question, right? I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're not tied to the hip. So if there was a strategic opportunity, say in Charlotte, right. And it was one of two things. It was either too small for us to justify doing it or somebody said, Hey, as part of the deal, we got to use this company. And, and we still, so we took a step back we said, well, it's still a pretty good deal. And it's Charlotte. Um, we're going to do it. Right. You know, because I, I would say that really you want to have a regional right and to have a regional you probably want 4 or 5 deals you know i mean it's hard to put a unit count on because it's really revenue driven right but if i was if i was to put a unit count on it i'd probably say i want 500 to 1000 units to justify hiring a regional in that area that's going to sit on those properties in that in that region right because yeah logistically even from atlanta it really wouldn't make sense it certainly wouldn't make sense from houston um, and so, you know, we're always trying to look for, you know, if we're going to go into a new market, let's let's build some mass, you know, maybe use a third party company for a year or two, um, you know, and then and then we can kind of we can get position then by that point, you understand the market, you know, the vendors that are in the market, you kind of know the rules and the regulations, because every state is different, and how you're supposed to operate properties um, is definitely not all like Texas. And, and Georgia, you know, even though I would say in a lot of ways is similar in a little ways to Texas is still from a, a law standpoint, it's significantly different. And so you just have to be prepared to understand that and have the proper licensing and, you know, um, the proper understanding of how all the rules and regulations work out there. So I would probably wouldn't feel comfortable unless it was just a big portfolio and we could hire on staff that was local that knew all that ahead of time to just step into a new market and do it just right off the bat.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was curious about that. So, I guess you know, at the end of the day, I wonder what this means for your investors. Because, and in, and you know, follow me here. This might be a, a tough question, but on the one hand, through all this, you get economies of scale. You save some on the bottom line because you're cutting out, you know, somebody's margin somewhere, right, or somebody's potential margin. But on the other hand, if you don't manage it right, then the you, we all only have so many hours in the day, right? So. You know, you need to have these business systems set up properly, so that you know you're spending. You and Ferris are spending your time in the right way, and you know, giving everything its due attention and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, I, how do you handle that? And and what does that mean for your investors? Um, and do you, do you perceive that as a risk at all?
0: Well, no. I mean, I, I, you you brought up a good point, right? There's 24 hours of the day. You know, I can't I can't work all 24, right? I've got a family. You know, there's there's other obligations you know i think we we built up a team we did things a little bit differently right you know we built up a team we we didn't take a paycheck for quite some time at disrupt equity and so we were just reinvesting in the company and what we were reinvesting in was really a team the right people that surrounded us and then building out processes and systems and introducing technology once again we come from a tech background of uh, things that we had known from our former lives you know to systematize and automate and delegate out the majority of the grunt work that has to go on uh, running some of these businesses. So really, you know, the insurance and the, the lending side, that's kind of, that's humming along, right? I said, we're just augmenting. And, you know, through that, I have a team that's kind of helping augment that. That's more call that more of like an investment, right? The property management, we're very, very, you know, um, involved in because it's in, our, it's in our best interest from a property standpoint to be involved in that. And asset management. So I'd say that the two things that we really spend the majority of our day on are directly related to the property and the success of the property, right? You know, then we spend another 20% of our time on marketing, right? You know, because it's always, that's ultimately, we're a marketing company in in some ways too, right? Whether you're marketing for deals or you're marketing for potential investors or partners, you got to get your name out there. And so, you know, but I've had that question too, like, you know, Hey, are you working on too many things? I always kind of say, Hey, we, we built the system in a way where we can, like I said, it's like a franchise model, right? Where I'm able to introduce the processes and systems that I've already built and surround a specialist that's already doing the job. Right. And there takes a little bit of, you know, um, you know, gyration and getting it to work and working out all the kinks and stuff. But once again, I had six months that I had, <laughs> on the acquisition side. So I was able to take all that time that I wasn't buying deals and focus on getting those businesses spun up and maintaining our portfolio and making sure that we could kind of make our way through COVID, which was it's been a challenging year, man. I mean, it's, it's, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, COVID opened up certain things that people would have never underwritten to or had any desire or any, idea that that could be a potential challenge, right? We always talk like delinquency, delinquency, delinquency is like the big buzzword now, right? With a lot of people in the business, right? And delinquency was just a, it was a one to 3%. You put it in your underwriting and you, you know, you didn't really talk about it much. And the reason why is because you had a stick. The stick was the eviction process, right? So you never really let people have delinquent rent because if they, were, if they weren't paying their rent by day four, you started the eviction process, at least here in Texas. And in Georgia, you could do it too fairly quickly. Maybe parts of the country, it's a little bit harder. We're landlord-friendly states. And so you, know, you didn't really have, it was, a, the, you know, it was a rounding error. Now that's all that we're focusing on, right? Is collections and delinquency and renewals, right? Making sure that you know, the tenants that are paying, we're retaining those tenants. Because at some point you will have a tsunami of evictions. I'm assuming probably Q one or Q two. And you know, you need to you need to maintain and retain the st- the the tenants that you do have, right? You know, so that's kind of where me and Ferris now are focusing our energy is there's the property management, the asset management, and then the acquisitions. So and that's ultimately what we like doing anyway. I mean ultimately we buy and sell apartments, man. That's what we do. And so um, you know, but we have the right team you know, to go out and help us kind of, you know, implement everything that we want to do.
1: And I think from an investor perspective, that's a kind of a question you have to expect, right? Because most of your investors are going to be, you know, high paid professionals who have managed to start earning some serious coin at their Mm W2. They're smart people and they, you know, that's probably a fairly, uh, I'd say maybe obvious question. Now you mentioned marketing, for deals acquisition, at least in that kind of in that same vein, you see it sounds like you see acquisitions as a part of marketing. Now, are you going for deals, you know, off market? Or are you primarily working through
0: brokers? Like what's your primary like source I, for deals? So I love the term off market, right? It's kind of right. I, I look at it as it's um it's thrown around like, oh, this was an off market deal, so therefore I was the only one looking at it, therefore I got the best deal that you possibly could on it. And I think that that's a fallacy in the in, in the market we've bought off market we've bought on market deals we've we've sold off market deals we've sold on market deals so you know i think ultimately the price lands pretty close to what the seller or you know is expecting to get out of it one way or the other it just i look at it from the lens of a seller why would you do an off market deal right it's less it's less chaotic to the staff right You know, you're not having to do 20 or 30 property tours where the staff has to be involved, right? It's not like a completely hands-off process, right? The manager is at least the one that's showing everybody around. That's disruptive to her day-to-day. It's nerve-wracking, you know. um, And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, you probably have a lot of tire kickers that are wasting a lot of people's time. So we actually prefer to sell off market because of that, right? Because essentially, I'm going to say, this is my strike price go out and make it happen and the broker will know the five or six groups that can get within get within range right and then maybe maybe not am i doing a property tour right most of the time i'll probably blow them off and say you got a secret shop the property you just got to drive around until we have it under contract and most people understand because it's an off-market deal that that's that's the case um you know but i would say it's it's you know, I, I wouldn't say that I do more off market or on market. It's just kind of a hodgepodge and we're opportunistic at the end of the day, you know, um, and, you know, whatever kind of presents itself. Uh, but, you know, I, I would say that the brokers, what it, whether it's off market or on market, the brokers are doing 97, 98% of the deals that are happening in the market. One way or the other, there's a broker involved there, and there's very little direct to seller whoever says that's probably a broker or there's some kind of wholesaler that's dealing with a smaller type property. But when you're dealing with unit sizes that we're kind of dealing with, which is 150 to 350, they're usually, they know that they shouldn't try to do that direct to somebody else, right? Unless it's, when I have seen that, it's been like bigger firms, right? That trust, like, know and trust each other. They know, hey, these guys are legit. They can close. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blackstone, you want to, you want to, here's what we want. You guys want to buy it? Oh, yeah, you do. Okay, we'll, we'll transact. And even then, there's probably still some broker along the way that gets involved just to handle the transaction. You yeah, know, that's the only time I've ever seen that. Um, all the other times, anybody that says that, you know, they wrapped up a property direct to seller got lucky, cold calling them. Got lucky with some kind of a mailer, or they knew somebody that that owned the property. Um, otherwise, it's always going through a broker. And you know, I know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, I gonna shoot it straight to to everybody that's listening, right? Because that's that's normally how it goes down. So develop those relationships with the brokers. That's the most important thing that you can be spending your time on when you're looking for deals.
1: That's been my experience too, and it's it's kind of funny when I see. I don't know, funny, but you know, I'm on a lot of uh, syndicators' lists, mm-hmm. right? And I'm on a lot of brokers' lists too. And I'll see a, a deal come out uh, from a broker, and then you know, just not pay much attention to it because I'm not interested for whatever reason. A few months later, come out through a syndicator, and they'll say, "Hey, we bought this off market." And I'm like, man, a broker sent this out in an email blast. Like, this is as on market as you can get, short of being on LoopNet.
0: Yeah, yeah, that might that be the most the odd market that you can get, right? You know, is loophead. <laughs> but, um, you know, because some of these brokers have pretty big, they have pretty big email lists. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I was talking to the ARA Newmark guys here. I mean, I think 40,000 people on their list or something crazy. You know, that's getting to a lot of eyes, you know, and that's, but that's how they command the highest price, right? You know, they're looking for, you know, somebody that's rolling out at 1031 and can pay a premium. Yeah. So it's in their best interest in a lot of ways to market it. You know? So
1: one of the things I I wonder about or I expect or I try to keep in mind here is, you know, in that transaction process, speaking of property management disruption, right? You know, people managing the property, particularly, you know, if they're a third party manager in there, I mean, they know the deal, right? When the new buyer comes in, they're probably going to bring in their own property management. You know, If it's you guys, you have Possibly. your own property management. But mm-hmm that, you know, these people coming to buy this property kind of mean the end of my job. Yep. Maybe I'm a little less motivated to do a great job here, you know, at this property I'm managing. Mm-hmm. Has that been, you know, is that a real concern? Has yes. that been your experience observation?
0: It's, it's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's human nature, right? You know, when you, when you think you're walking to your, to your execution, right? you, <laughs> are you going to, are you going to run to that damn thing? Or are you going to, are you going to walk? Are you going to slow walk it? Right. You know, I mean, most people get, that's why I don't like the on-market process because that, that really does, it, it puts, it's pretty nerve wracking, right? And you also really need to pay retention bonuses to your staff. I think that's the right thing to do. Whenever we exit these properties, we do make quite a bit of money, you know, and I think it's good to, to take care of the staff, right? I think that's the right thing to do. And ultimately it's a win-win because it keeps them motivated to make sure we get this thing across the finish line, right? Because what we've seen a lot of times you know, and this is not just our transaction, just having stories in the market, right? You know, from people that we know is, yeah, they'll let the, they'll let their foot off the the gas and collections start slipping, things start falling apart. And then the lender gets involved that's trying to put the, 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 the debt on the deal. And they'll say, Hey, you know, things have fundamentally changed. Therefore your loan's going to change. And then that, sometimes that blows up transactions. So the way to motivate, the staff, you know, and this is if you're an owner selling, the deal is that you tell your staff, Hey, I know I'm selling, can't guarantee that they're going to hire you on, or we're going to have a position for you post-sale, but I will provide you with a retention bonus that will pay out when we sell. And, uh, usually that will get, cause it's, it's, it, it's usually a pretty good amount of money for those folks. And so that usually motivates them.
1: You know, what would a typical uh,
0: retention bonus look like? I would say a month or two worth of their salary, is probably typical and, 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 you know, have a rule that's rules of thumb, right? If you're going to make a fortune on it, don't be greedy, you know, um, especially if it was that manager that turned that property around. And the reason that you're selling it for the value that you're selling it is because of that person, you should take care of that. That's just the right thing to do. Right. And, and I'm not saying that as a property management company, I'm just saying that as an owner, you know, and I didn't know that when I went to sell my first deal, which was three years ago. I mean, I didn't know that the property management company, you know, told me that. I was like, oh, that actually makes sense. And we've done it ever since and we'll continue to do it.
1: They kind of so, tell you that at the end, like a month before closing, like, hey, you, know, you should really pay well, these guys. Like,
0: well, I <laughs> usually they all, most of these guys have gone through this the, for the corporate guys. It's just part of the process. And so they kind of understand it. Right. But, you know, I think, you know, they, they kind of educated us like, hey, you know, this is kind of what we're suggesting based on their salaries, you know, and, um, you know, we're, we were totally fine with it. Once I started to realize, I was like, oh yeah, let's totally do that. You know, because that was kind of a concern of mine as an owner. I was like, "Man, they find out they're selling, are they gonna? These people gonna walk off? Like, how are we gonna do this?" Um, You know, and so you know that's that's something. Just as you as you go through the disposition process, you find out, right? You know.
1: All right. Well, right now we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. Okay, Ben, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? What do you got, man? What do you got? All right, you know them already, but you'll we'll go through them.
0: <laughs> I was trying to act, you know, come on. No, I, and I I probably I probably since forgotten them, so this is all going to be very new to me.
1: No, it's all good. I just yeah. don't want the listeners to think I'm surprising. This is not a gotcha interview, right? Everybody,
0: no, everybody
1: no, knows no. what you're walking into here. But anyway, first question: What is the best investment you ever made, other than in your education?
0: So, when you say education, do you mean you know traditional education or? Financial I mean, education.
1: I mean, college, I mean, business seminars, I mean, a mentor, we're knocking all of that out.
0: You're knocking all that. The best investment. Oh my gosh, man, you are putting me on the spot. All right. Cause I thought, I thought you were talking about like, you know, going to college and stuff. Um, I would say, you know, the best investment that I've ever made was really in myself. Right. You know I mean? You got to take care of yourself mentally and physically to really be a high achiever in this business. Right. And then, you know, for the first couple of years, you know, even actually back in my W two days, you know, you're just kind of, you're, you're not doing that. Right. And you get stressed out. And I think, you know, ultimately people need to take some time for themselves, take some time for their family. So I'd say the best investment that I've ever made is is really in myself, not only my mental health, but in my physical health too. So I can, you know, continue to achieve at a higher level as well. So I'd say that if it wasn't because I was going to say that some other financial education stuff, but that would be, that would probably be number one when I really started thinking about it.
1: Right, we knocked off the financial education one because that got that answer too many times. So
0: uh, I know I figured that one was probably too easy. Yeah. We've taken yeah. that one off too easy.
1: We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment
0: you ever made? Forex. I lost a fortune in Forex uh, trading, not Not for the faint of heart, my friend. You know, I lost twenty-five thousand dollars in 30 minutes. Oh man. When was that? This was 2016. And so, and man, it was a kick in the you know what. And so um that was something that I wasn't a hundred percent, you know, I guess confident in, and I shouldn't have done it. And I ultimately got kind of talked into doing it and I lost a fortune and I'll never, I'll never, I'll never get into an investment that I don't fully understand, you know? Um, and that goes for stocks too, right? People need to do research on the stocks that they're investing in, you know, uh, understand the company that you're investing in. Don't just like, Oh, somebody blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. And Forex was is really the wild, wild west. If anybody doesn't know what it is currency trading and you know, you're buying on margin and, it could have wiped me out. You know, I was able to kind of exit my position, but you know, by that point, the damage was done, man. So, no more. That was the worst investment of my life.
1: That, that makes sense. I, I never delved into forex, but I did options. I only lost a few hundred dollars, and I was like, "Oh, right. I don't understand this. So, I'm just never gonna do it again." And that's
0: no. no you're buying question. on. You, you're buying on. Yeah, you're buying on margin. That stuff's. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's bad. Oof, so. Ouch. My favorite <laughs> question
1: here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that
0: you've learned in business and investing? It's team sport, man. You know, I, I think, you know, now this is not, this is not a, a, a sweeping statement for investing, right? Cause you can buy stocks on your own. You don't really need a team. Maybe you do if you're a hedge fund, right? But you know, I would say let's say, let's take it through the lens of multifamily syndication, right? Multifamily syndication is a team sport. And you need to find the right team, the right partners to make sure that you can go out and you can execute that business plan. And you need to make sure that those partners are their work work ethic, their morals, you know, where they're at in their lives, right? Because I've had partners where they were older and they were kind of set in where they were at, right? They didn't want to push. And I needed somebody that was gonna kind of match my st- you know, not only be complimentary in terms of skill sets, but also be ready to hard charge and actually go out and create a company. Right. So, but yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned that you need to, you need to just, you know, understand that it's a team sport. You can't do it all on your own. Like, like we talked about earlier, it's 24 hours in the day. If you start, you know, buying five, 10 properties, you are going to get overwhelmed and um, it won't be pretty. And that's when things start getting, getting dropped and people get mad and, you know, it just goes downhill from there. So I'd say that's probably the most important thing that I could tell anybody. If you have any takeaway from this call, right, get yourself a good team. You know, that's important.
1: I love it. Well, Ben, thank you for joining us today. It's been great reconnecting with you. It's been a couple of years since we talked. If folks want to reach out to you, if they want to find you, they want to learn more, whatever, where can they find you?
0: Love talking shop. So feel free to email me at ben at Disrupt equity.com or you can check us out at www.disruptequity.com uh for our website and you know uh, love to love to talk multifamily love to talk being an entrepreneur so uh, feel free to reach out
1: awesome well Ben, yeah. thanks once again for joining us today to everybody out there thank you for tuning in if you're enjoying the show please leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts very much appreciated and helps other people learn about the show. If you want to join these uh, discussions live, we are now live streaming these interviews on YouTube. So go look us up on YouTube. Drop us a follow, hit the notification bell and all that other stuff that uh, the YouTubers say. I'm picking up the lingo here. And uh, anyway, thanks for joining us once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one.
0: Bye-bye.